Welcome to Next Left. This is John Nichols of The Nation magazine, and we've got a remarkable story for you this week. We usually tell the stories of progressive candidates who run and win campaigns against extraordinary odds. But check out these odds. What if the governor, the legislature, major media outlets, and pretty much everyone who held sway in your state decided to eliminate a statewide elected position? What if you were a young woman who had never held elected office, and you decided you were going to take them all on and defend the post? What if your grassroots campaign beat everyone in power and saved the office from extinction? And what if the voters then elected you to fill it? That's what happened to Sarah Godlewski. She's now the state treasurer, my home state of Wisconsin, and she's our guest this week on Next Left. We're in the basement of the state capitol in a closet with the state treasurer of Wisconsin. State treasurer is one of the top statewide elected positions. Uh, Voters choose it. Sarah Godlewski is the state treasurer, and she's a Democrat who won the office in November of 2018. And your story is amazing because you didn't plan to go into politics. That's (laughs) not where you came from. (laughs) When you were coming out of college and stuff, what was your career trajectory? Um, Probably to do something more in the business sector, John. I mean, after college, I worked for a consulting firm. I was even at the Pentagon for a while. Uh, You hit the nail on the head. It was not my dream to run for state treasurer. Um, Not not that many kids kind of, you know, (laughs) it's like, like, no, no, no. Firefighter, you know, army, <laughs> president. No, I'm going to be state treasurer. Right. I wasn't carrying around a safety deposit box as a kid, like asking people to donate money to it or anything like that. But in Wisconsin, we had this very unique constitutional amendment where literally we were going to remove the office from it the Constitution. Be. Now, you had come, you'd worked at the Pentagon. You came back to Wisconsin. I did. And you were uh, spending a lot of time up in around your hometown yep. of Eau Claire, yep. northwestern in Wisconsin. Western Wisconsin, yeah. yeah. And as you point out, this Office of State Treasurer is in the Constitution. It's ex- it existed before the state. Right. So this office has always been around. Right. Always associated with... You know, ideally with money. With money, checks and balances. All the things that you would want. Right. But it had been dramatically diminished and reduced in power. Power is taken away from it as governors and legislators sort of wanted to keep tightening power up into... Or giving power to themselves. Yeah, that's exactly it. Taking it it away from this. Yeah. And... So that's where we pick up your story, because you're back here in Wisconsin, right. and they're finally just going to put it in the coffin and bury it. Right, right. And I think kind of how this happened in a very unique way is, so I was running a socially responsible investment firm. And so we were investing in businesses that were making a difference in the community. And access to capital is a challenge here in Wisconsin. And so I'm like, oh, I'll work with the state treasurer to see how we can get access to small businesses across the state and um, find out that the state treasurer doesn't go to work, isn't really doing their job, but further that they're trying to remove our financial officer from the Constitution, which I thought was crazy. I mean, we would literally have been the first state to remove our only financial officer from the Constitution. And this was a proposal 
by the state legislature, which was Republican-controlled at the yep. time, and by the Republican governor, Scott Walker. Right. And Scott Walker did a lot of things during his eight years as governor to sort of you know bring power into the governor's office. Right. And in many senses, this was an extension of it. And the governor, who had tons of money, yep. all sorts of national connections. He had recently run for president, uh, not so successfully, <laughs> um, but he certainly had a lot of support. And he made a big deal about how much he wanted to get rid of this office. Yep. And pretty much nobody objected. Right. There wasn't a lot of stuff. And then you came along. Right. Well, I think it goes back to what's the purpose of the state treasurer? And really, it comes down to a couple of things. I mean, one is the treasurer is supposed to be a financial check and balance on the executive and on the legislature. So if you think about it, the governor and the legislature, they tax you. They then tell you how you're going to spend your money. Then they spend your money. And then they also say, oh, by the way, we spent it the way we told you that you did. We would never do that in business. I mean, that's crazy to think that they're the ones that are, it's kind of like the fox watching the hen house kind of thing. That's, there's a reason why our founders in Wisconsin wrote the treasurer into the office is because they're supposed to be that financial check and balance. And then on top of it, we invest over $1.2 billion for public schools. And so we are responsible to providing 92% of all funding for books, technology, media. I mean, that's really important stuff here. And so they were gonna get rid of that power. They're just going to take it away. And you also have a lot of environmental oversight right. in the position, which would have defaulted to the governor's office or the lieutenant governor under right. this plan. Yes. Yeah, so we are responsible. We're the chair of the Board of Commissioners of Public Lands. And so we oversee almost 80,000 acres of public land. And so that would have then been able to be given to the governor who could have unilaterally just sold all that land off. Well, this sounds like a, just an atrocious assault on democracy. <laughs> right. So I, I have to imagine that it was like front page news, everybody talking about it when you when you came out. It must have been the biggest story in the state. Well, surprisingly, John, I originally thought so, but um, I started talking to whether it was legislators or you know environmental groups or financial groups, saying, "What are we doing to save this office?" And they were like, "What?" They either didn't know it was happening or they already said it was a done deal, that the legislature had already passed this twice and that we were going to remove the office and there was nothing that we were going to be able to do about it. And this is a very typical thing in politics, right, especially, you know, because politics has become so much about big money, so much about, you know, kind of looking at everything from 30,000 feet, who's got power, who's right. doing all the big stuff, that these offices, which historically have had great influence, which have yeah. potential to do great things, often are never covered. Yep. Um, and a lot of the political class itself uh, isn't very excited about them. Right. Previous races for state treasurer, nobody could even could barely right. identify the candidates. Right. Right. And so you decided that you wanted to save the office. That put you up against uh, the governor, the legislature, yep. Yep. pretty much the political elites, even some of the media, right. which said, oh, it's inefficient to have right. all this democracy. Our good idea, Sarah, trying to save something that's already a done deal. Like, yeah, good idea, Sarah, and you've been that for a long time. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right, right. And I think to your point, the political establishment was saying, what a waste of time. 
And when we started organizing and talking to Wisconsinites, I mean, it was quite clear that once they knew about this, they were really worried. I mean, they all have had work with a treasurer, whether it's a treasurer of their club or any sort of organization, and they understand the important role that this should be playing. And so the fact that we wanted to remove this from the fabric of our democracy, people were suspicious. Why do we want to do that? Why do you not want somebody to provide transparency and accountability? So we formed a bipartisan coalition and we won the ballot amendment with 62% of the vote. The two thirds of the vote? 62%, a Almost, super yeah. majority. And and that's in Wisconsin, yep. a deeply divided state yep. where presidential races come down to 22,000 votes right. and stuff. And right. you're up against the governor yep. and the legislature, yep. quite a bit of the media. And you won 62% of the vote to keep the office? Yes. What did that tell you? I mean, for me, that was just a clear reflection on how the legislature and at the time also the governor were just disconnected from what Wisconsinites cared about. I mean, they really cared about this. There were places in which people only voted to keep this office. They would not fill out the rest of their ballot. They would only fill out, yes, I want to keep the state treasurer, and then they would leave. And the fact that the legislature at the time was so ardent about removing this office just shows me that they were completely disconnected with what their constituents care about. And isn't there perhaps a broader lesson beyond Wisconsin, even nationally, that we have a lot of political elites who presume that voters, that, that ordinary citizens, whatever that term means, um, uh, don't care right. about this stuff. What you did with a tiny budget, pretty much on your own and a few allies, yep. was prove not only that they care, but they're actually quite passionate about right. it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we traveled the state and we were talking to people about what the state treasurer, I mean, state treasurers in other states are doing really impressive work. And Wisconsin was lagging behind in these financial conversations. And Wisconsinites care about their financial future. So why would they not want a financial advocate in the executive fighting for them? And there's, you're a progressive. There's a lot of progressive things that that we're all starting to realize can be done right. with a, with public resources. Right. And and so once you had saved the office, yep. you and your allies, yeah. um, you decided to run for it. Right. And that's not illogical, right? You actually thought about it a little bit. Right. I was becoming quite familiar with the role. Yeah. And so you went out there. And the weird part about it is that you had actually gotten people excited by it. So now a whole bunch of people were running for the office. You weren't the only one running. Right. I mean, just as many people that basically voted for the governor also voted for state treasurer. Usually you have a significant drop off um, on these down ballot races and our race did not have that kind of drop off at all. So you created this excitement factor. Number of candidates ran. You won your Democratic primary and then you went into that November election. And I watched you during that campaign and it was really interesting because you spent a lot of time talking about the office. You always explained it, yep. right? But then you also talked about what it could be. And I think this is a very, it's a very exciting thing in our politics, this notion that you seek an office not merely for what it's been defined as, right. its limits. Right. You seek it for what it could be. Right. And so tell folks a little bit about what you talked about as you campaigned. Yeah, so we really, I think, talked about three things. That, um, one is clearly to be the fiscal watchdog and what that means, so providing transparency and accountability. But the other piece that we talked a lot about was how can this work with economic empowerment? 
So an example of that is with the student loan crisis. So in Wisconsin, literally we have a $24 billion student loan crisis. And what's crazy about the student loan crisis is you can't refinance like you can a home or a car. And interest rates alone, John, were up to 15% last year, which is crazy. And so we were talking about actually refinancing student loan debt and what that could look like, um, or retirement. I mean, literally 50% of Wisconsinites do not have money saved for retirement. But yet we're one of the fastest aging states in the country, and we can't live off of Social Security alone. So what are we doing to provide saving opportunities for people in the state of Wisconsin? So it was just thinking about what actually government could do <laughs> to help people get ahead. You also talked about what some folks might describe as bigger issues, bigger picture issues. You talked about climate change. Yeah. Now, how did you find an intersection between climate change and the state treasurer's office? So that became a very interesting conversation, I think, in two ways. One is my predecessor had put a climate change band on my office. So you could not talk about climate change. So they didn't actually ban climate change. They banned the conversation. Banned the conversation, banned research. I mean, and it was really weird because when you deal with 80,000 acres of public land and you do investments that have to do with what the world looks like today and maybe are there floods overseas or are there hurricanes that are happening, we need to be able to look at climate change and its impact on whether it's investments or our public lands. And literally my staff at the time couldn't even talk about that or even review it, which to me is reckless behavior when you are financially responsible for tax dollars in this way. Part of this ban was we couldn't even invest in renewable energy. I mean, renewable energy is the future, whether it's the cost savings that you can have with renewable energy to even the positive impact it can have on our environment. But the fact that we couldn't even look at renewable energy just seemed to be ridiculous. And this is part of the larger financial conversation. So how are we looking at these kind of investment projects in the state of Wisconsin? And how are we encouraging that kind of economic development? We'll be back after these messages. Today's episode is supported by Ovid TV, the streaming service for documentaries, arthouse films, and notable works of international cinema. The Ovid.tv catalog features films you won't find on Netflix. They address urgent political and social issues such as climate change, reproductive rights, immigration, and economic justice. Head over to www.ovid.tv, that's O-V-I-D TV, for your free seven-day trial and start streaming on all your favorite devices, including Apple TV and Roku. Now it's time for a word about democracy. It's not doing so well these days. That's what Astor Taylor says this week on Start Making Sense, our sister podcast at The Nation, hosted by John Wiener, the coolest man in L.A. Democracy, we'll miss it when it's gone. So says Astor Taylor on the Start Making Sense podcast. Political talk without the boring parts. New episodes every Thursday at thenation.com. Welcome back to Next Left. We're speaking with Wisconsin State Treasurer, Sarah Godlewski. And so you 
got yourself elected. Yeah. And you came in and you upended all this. I mean, at least on, the, yeah. on that. Yeah. That's when people say do elections matter. Yeah. You actually upended a ban in a major state. Yep. I'm talking about climate change. Yep. Yep. And you now sit as the chair yep. of a board of public lands with a lifelong environmentalist as another member of that board, our secretary of state, yep. and a, a young uh, attorney general who's very committed to a lot of environmental causes. So in one election, we saw a radical transformation right. of how we talk about what a lot of people think is the existential issue of our time. Right. I mean, so to your point, when I became chair of this board, literally the second meeting was we stopped the ban and um, overturn the gag order because we thought that was ridiculous. And then we allowed for investment in renewable energy, um, which were things that we weren't able to do. That just seemed silly to me. So you did policy changes immediately. Right. And big ones that matter. Now, you're still sitting in an office, which is was formerly a closet, <laughs> and you are in the basement of the state capitol. And the only way to get to your office is to go to the information counter and ask where the secret elevator is. Uh, <laughs> and you don't even have stairs that could come down here. So uh, there is a tremendous amount of work you have to do to right. renew this office. Right. Tell us about some of what you're doing. So just for the first point, John, though, we didn't run for the views. So and you don't have any, but it's, it's important to point out that there is zero view. Right, right. We, we, we make our windows on like sticky notes and things like that. But um, I mean, we've been doing a lot of different work, I think, to get this office back on track. I mean, the first one, as silly as it sounds, is that Wisconsin was missing from the public finance conversation for almost a decade. We were not a part of the National Association of State Treasurers. And so you didn't even go. You were not even the club. No, we weren't even in the club. Wisconsin was not there. And so we initially joined that conversation. And within that conversation, I became a part of the banking committee. We, we are looking at ways in which to address cannabis and hemp, because those are some serious financial challenges here, uh, not just within the state of Wisconsin, but across the country. We also joined the Economic Empowerment Committee, where we are looking at ways that financial literacy and core life milestones impact people's financial health. So a divorce, getting married, having kids, like how do we help people that are going through those transitions? And then the third thing is that um, looking at healthcare. I mean, we know that medical debt and like disabilities are a big problem. And so how can we help in looking at whether it's tax incentives or investment solutions to help people address that? So just within like the first week of office, I joined the National Association of State Treasurers, bring Wisconsin back to the national public finance stage, and we're leading these conversations across the country. And you must have a massive staff to help you do this. <laughs> so um, you are looking at technically the only staffer cool. in the office. Like you're a statewide elected official elected by, how many votes did you get? Over 1.3 million. 1.3 million votes. Yeah. And you, you're it? That is it. But I think that goes back to what I walked into. I mean, when I was sworn in on January 7th, I walked into this office and it was quite appalling to be quite frank. I mean, there were wires that were hanging from the wall, the phones were disconnected and we didn't have any internet. And then literally the previous legislature whittled down my budget to basically nothing and left me as the only employee 
But here's what is, I think, the kicker, John, is that people will say, well, Sarah, this is big government. Tax dollars are going to go down the tubes, you know, tax, tax dollar wasted, blah, blah, blah. But here's the reality. My office runs on the money that it earns. So it doesn't cost taxpayers a dime to run this office. And you're actually kicking money into the state budget. Right. I would argue that even within the first couple of months of us being in office, we have continued to increase our revenue stream. Um, But the challenge is is I can't access that money. So even though I have over like $40 million in my checking account, I can't access any of that. So a lot of people put government down, right? And they say, you know, it can't do anything and, and... uh, there's a very dismissive attitude, obviously, frankly, in a lot of our media, as well as in a lot, even among our political elites, people run for office and then say government can't do anything. Right. But one of the things that you found is that when you go out to grassroots folks, yeah. small towns, small cities, and you say, let's have a conversation about what government can do, they get really excited. Right. It's, all, it's, it's something that perhaps a lot of elected officials fail to do. Right. And I think to that point, John, the other thing that we're not afraid about is being bold and talking about these ideas. I mean, let's use a, a great example. So one of the things that we are probably most excited about is really working so every kid in the state of Wisconsin has a child savings account. But it really goes back to what does that look like? And so one of the things that we um, have been working on is to create a 401k basically for every kid. And we want to call it 401 Kids, and it's going to be this great opportunity where literally, if you're born in the state of Wisconsin, you will, we'll open up this account for you, and then it will be invested over, over that course of time. And so you can use it on education. You can use it on first-time home building, like buying. You can use it for medical emergencies, or you can use it for retirement. And so I think it's those kind of ideas, and literally the fact that then we get to invest it, the program actually pays for itself because it's not taking tax dollars. We literally partner with other groups to put in the first $50, and then it accrues all this interest over time, and then that helps run the program, so it it literally is zero net cost. And you've also, you haven't gone down the the road all the way, but you are interested in ideas like public banking or in using the state's money, not in the traditional banking right. systems, but in alternative right. routes. Right. And I think another really good example of that is we are looking at a public retirement option. I mean, when 50% of Wisconsinites have less than $3,000 saved for retirement, they need an option. And a lot of times, you know, wealth management are only wanting to help those that have the most amount of money to actually invest in retirement. So who's helping everybody else? And so one of the things that we could look at is actually setting up like a Roth IRA for any Wisconsinite that wanted to kind of pay into it, and it could be five, ten dollars, and over time that can make a really big difference. I mean, if you set up a tool for people to save, they are fifteen times more likely to save. All they need is a tool, and so the fact that we don't have a tool and we could give them that tool, um, I think, can really make a big difference. And make it a difference is sort of at the heart of it, isn't it? You, you are someone who had a pretty successful career doing other things. And you could do a lot of other things. You've chosen this political path um, and chosen an office that people didn't always line up to <laughs> run for, um, clearly because you want to you have an impact. And you're only a short amount of time in, but were you, was your instinct right? Can it work? Is it possible? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest opportunity that has been lacking in our political world is finance expertise. For somebody to come in and talk about how they can use public finance to really make a difference. And I think that has, that's been missing. That's been significantly missing from the conversation. And so this office is the natural choice as the chief financial officer for the state to start bringing those economic issues front and center. And I don't really feel that Wisconsin had that champion before to talk about these types of issues. So I'm really looking forward to kind of all the different things that we can do and being bold about it. I mean, Wisconsin has been a bold leader, whether it was looking at Social Security or different worker rights in the past. And so we need to continue that trajectory of moving forward. And I think that this is a a way in which we can do that financially. These constitutional offices provide opportunities in which you can really govern. I mean, we are part of the executive because we need to execute these policies. And part of it is not just executing, but what is it that we want to be doing? And and what does that look like? But it's not easy. It's not like anybody was necessarily encouraging me to run for this office. Um, And it's not like I had a seat at the table, you know, to use the Shirley Chisholm quote, like, if you don't have a seat, bring your folding chair. I feel like throughout this whole process, I've been bringing a folding chair. But I think that we bring a different voice to the conversation. I mean, the fact that, for example, we are talking about things like retirement or things like, you know, disability and health care and child care type issues are just our experience in life. And I think that's been missing. Technically, you don't have a folding chair. You've got a, 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 a sort of half a bar <laughs> I have a stool. wheelie bar stool, yeah, yeah fair. Yeah. Sarah Godlewski, you've been a fabulous conversation here. Let me just ask you one final thing. Um, when you're out there, like, fighting to empower women, to take back democracy and, and all that, it, is there a song you listen to? Favorite song? Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> I'm actually a big Beyonce girl. So I will just put it on her playlist I, I, I switch between sometimes Beyonce and Queen. It kind of depends. Sounds good. Well, I would say a Beyonce state treasurer. <laughs> that is pretty cool. I mean, who can, who doesn't like Beyonce? Exactly. <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk and, uh, and joining us here today on Next Left. Thanks for having me, Jen. Did you go to prom with Bon Iver? <laughs> So um, I went to high school with Justin Vernon. Who is the internationally recognized, you know, center of the, the group project uh, Bon Iver. Bon Iver, yeah. And at the time he was in a band called Mount Vernon. And we were all part of the same homecoming group. So, yes, we um, all went to homecoming together. He chose finance over rock and roll. <laughs> It was a really hard decision, but I felt like that's what I needed to do. Join us next week as we take the next left with Brianna Wu, a candidate for Congress in Massachusetts. She's running in that state's 8th district. Wu is a video game developer and a cybersecurity expert. She first decided to run for Congress in 2018. She lost the primary that year. But she's back for a second try, using all the lessons she's learned along the way. And she reminds us that in politics, often you have to run two times to get that first win. This episode of Next Left was produced and edited by Sophia Steinert-Evoy. 
Our executive producers are Frank Reynolds, Aaron O'Mara, and Katrina Vandenhuvel. Our theme music is Deli Run by Ava Luna, who you can check out at avalunagroup.com. Our logo was designed by Sinead Chung. Recording help this week by Phoebe Petrovic. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by rating and reviewing us on iTunes and subscribing anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, check out some of our back podcasts. The President of the United States just attacked one of the people we featured using a quote from the podcast. The thing is, the President got it wrong. <laughs>